next guest took a classic Beyond Warwick 2 and made it over to the crossover hit of the year. Here to perform Don't Make Me Over. Welcome, Miss Simone. Um, but uh, yeah, as I said, we always have an international audience. It's always great to, to get them to, I mean, some in Europe might know you and, and some in other parts of the country might, might think, oh, I thought she was British and stuff. But where, where, where are you born and raised? Uh, the funny thing, I will say this: uh, I'm I'm a I'm a Jersey girl, New Jersey. I was okay. born in, in in Patterson, New Jersey, uh, which is right 12 miles west of New York City, and um, born and raised, educated in 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 the city, college in the South. I, I attended and graduated from college in North Carolina, though. Okay. So I have strong ties to um to the South, to North Carolina in particular. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, 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 a number of my guests who have interviewed have come from New Jersey. Um, the members of Rift, I don't know if you know yes. them. Yes, they're, they're, <laughs> they're actually my home, they're from my hometown. We're home people, as we say. Okay, yeah, Nitty, Nitty Green and, and, and the rest are uh, Duania, they're, they're really, really good friends. And then members of Black Street, Chauncey Black. And, Chauncey, Levi, I know, I know oh, Levi. <laughs> you know, yeah, Levi is a very yes. good friend of mine, yes, mm-hmm. uh, with Eric. Yes. Uh, um, and so... But, um, but uh, yeah, recently I interviewed Gina Thompson. She's from New Jersey, but she's from a different side. And, and also KG from Naughty by Nature. So, yes. from, so it was surprising that a lot of talent has come out of, of New Jersey, which yes. has, has surprised a lot of us. When you were growing up, what was, was um, and, and I know of, of the great Regina Bell and, and the Bell family, but when you, I'm Big Bub from today and stuff, but when you grew up, uh, was how, what, what were you inspired by musically? It was, well, you know, the thing in my household, um, we listened to all types of music, all different types of genres. Um, My father and my mother were both really into jazz. And so we listened to a lot, a lot of jazz and, of course, a lot of R&B. But then, of course, I had my grandmothers and my grandmothers listened to gospel. And and so I was strongly influenced by that. But because of the nature of where I grew up, uh, my exposure to music was really kind of, was very vast and varied because my friends didn't all look like me. Some of them were of European descent. And oh. so rock and roll and, you know, the rock and roll and, and they love that stuff. So I grew up listening to all types of music. So I was familiar with who Leonard Skinner and ACDC and, and, you know, and, and, and Def Leppard and Grateful Dead, just like I was the OJs, you know, Gladys Knight. And I, so it was just kind of really very interesting and, and, and knowing who you, you Kayla and, and Nina Simone and, 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 and some of the jazz greats, um, you know, McCoy Tyner, just Miles Davis. I grew up in a household where music was just, was always there. Um, you know, at the family gatherings, it was always there. We would sing, even if, even the family members who couldn't sing would sing. And wow. it was just, yeah, so in terms of music, and then I studied classical violin growing wow. up as a kid and did musical theater uh, in high school, through high school. And okay. so and they're about to do some theater afterwards. But um, so my influences were, were home, church, and my exposure, and, and who, and my environment that really okay. kind of dictated my love of music, all types of music. And then, but growing up with, you know, we mentioned a few of the people from, from Black Street to Regina Bell and the rest, um, and they started getting into music early and doing talent shows. Were you also on those talent show circuits? 
It was funny, actually. Yeah, I did. And and I was not um, one of those types of singers who I never I always loved to sing. But music, I never wanted to be a musician. I never wanted to be an artist. I, I, I thought I'm going to be an attorney. I, that was what I aspired to be. That's how I studied. And that's how I prepared. But music was always there. I mean, I grew up singing in the church. And 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 so it was just, it was always there. Uh, I ended up doing talent, a couple of talent shows. And I actually did did a talent show and sang a Whitney Houston song. And it was so funny. Um, Saving All My Love. It was, and it was so, such a, such a, a, a fun time for me because I was just doing it for the fun of it but I won the talent show I thought what in the world wow. but because it was just I didn't I guess I never took myself really serious um but I also was a perfectionist and so I was not going to get up there unprepared and mm -hmm. needless to say so I did the 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 circuit so to speak but then I started singing with um with bands and and performing with bands and ended up singing with uh, a gentleman by the name of CC Rogers who ended up having a hit record someday on Atlantic but uh, I was part of CC's group, CC and Company. I was part of the company. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, we would do shows in and around the metropolitan, New York, New Jersey metropolitan area. Um, so uh, the circuit, the, the whole talent show circuit, yes, but not so much um, as I did working with bands. I would do kind of one-offs with different bands. Uh, you mentioned you went to North Carolina for college. Did, so when did the... Uh, did, did you what did you study did you study long in college or what did you... it's uh, let me tell you the funny thing is that no I was um I had I was a double major I was a professional speech and theater arts major with a broadcast communication emphasis okay. and so that's what my that's what my my bachelor's is in my master's is in a leadership studies and adult education so I work with young adults now at a college uh and and I love that I, I love that because our, our our institution is one of the few uh, schools that has entertainment technology as a as a viable degree program, uh, but I work with students that are in various um, areas of program of study, and so it, you know just it's just kind of what what I what I do and what I've done, you know, um, yeah. So, but don't no, because when you when you moved to New Jersey for, uh, to to North Carolina for college, was this still, you know, you know instead of sync you know, getting the career, you, you you focused on that then start to sing or, or what was the transition? Well, I sang, I, you know, I sang through college. This is the funny thing. I, I want to share something with you. I, one of the things I was, I would sing all the time. I would sing now around, I would sing at different, for different events and different, um, different programs around the college. And I think I ended up becoming Miss North Carolina A&T State University. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I always said, I said, I was not, I said, I always thought there were, I was never that girl. I was not that, that's not me. I'm not a pageant girl. But <laughs> <laughs> that's not my thing. But I think that I, I ended up winning because I was really cool with everybody. I mean, I was cool with, with the international students. I was cool with the um, other sororities. I, I'm a member of a sorority and I was friends with women in other sororities. I was friend, friends with um, guys in the fraternities. I was friends with different uh, organizations. And so singing was always something that I did. And even for my coronation as Miss A&T, I was the first Miss A&T to sing. Literally, I sang at my coronation and I sang Denise Williams' Black Butterfly. Wow. Because I absolutely love black butter. I love blood, butterflies and I love my blackness. And so I don't, I don't run away from that. And, uh, and uh, so, for, so for me, it was just kind of really fun to be able to um, continue singing, but not, I didn't do it. I did it for fun through college. I did it mostly for fun. And I did it, you know, with, with, and around people and for people and with people who just had a love of music. I um, actually sang with, with, um, it was, Barbara Weathers, who was the lead singer of Atlantic Star, 
And she wow. is from, she's from the Greensboro area. So we would do, I would work with the band that she was with. So I, periodically we would be doing shows together. And so it was just kind of, I did it, I loved it. And, it, and then I graduated college and I started singing with the bands because it just kind of kept that continuum of, of, of being engaged in music and being with people who loved to perform. So um, I've, I've all, yeah, it's just kind of, I didn't study music on purpose. Let me say that, I tell people that. I, because what I realized, I had taken a theory class, a music theory and a musical notation class. And I thought that class was harder than any of my science classes. <laughs> and I thought, I don't wanna have to work this hard. I didn't want to lose the enthusiasm that I had for, for music. And I feel like sometimes when you study something, it takes away the, the organic nature of, 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 of how you do what you do. And so I, I applaud and give kudos to people who study and, and, and can read. I can read music and I can actually follow music, but in terms of, I mean, they stick to it. I want it to be that, I'm like, no, nah, I, I didn't want it to be that serious for me. Then it became my career for a long time and became serious for me because I was trying to make a living. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, because um, you, you, when you were studying it and in college, what was it that you thought you'd do with your degree once you graduated? Well, I thought I was going to go to law school. I honestly, my plans were to leave uh, to graduate from uh, North Carolina A and T, and I wanted to head back home. I really was really interested in attending Columbia University. I wanted to attend. I wanted to be wow. back home. I wanted to be in the Northeast, and I wanted to be an attorney. Well, I studied for the LSAT, which is the, the exam to kind of gauge where you are and your preparedness for that the rigors of that type of program. And I realized when I was, I said, you know what, I don't want to do that either. So, <laughs> but I, en I ended up working at a publishing company uh, and I enjoyed that. I was a proofreader and editor uh, for a publishing company. And I, and I enjoyed that, but I was singing on the weekends. I mean, I was singing, even singing during the week. I mean, on a Wednesday night. <laughs> Literally Wednesday through Sunday, I was, you know, singing after work. I, I don't know how I made, I don't know how I kept a job, but needless to say, when I made the decision in 1987, it was, um, I had done a demo and my first record was Falling in Love and I had done it for the UK, it was on Champion Records, but it was in Next, Next Plateau Records in the US. And I remember I had a decision to make because they said, you can tour, we've got three month tour for you if you want to work. Um, and at, I was still young and my mom said, you know what, go for it. You're still young. You can always come back and get, you know, you can always come back and, and, and find another job, you know. And so, um, and I ventured down that road and, and never looked back actually, and never looked back. And then I realized um, when I decided I wanted to step away from it, that came years later. And it came after just kind of getting, just feeling, falling or, or feeling less enthusiastic about mm -hmm. how the music industry was going. And I felt as if there wasn't room for someone like me, you know, at that time, uh, it changed uh, dramatically. And I thought, now nah, this is not, this is not what I signed up for. And I had to make a decision to figure out what else, I, what it is, what else I was good at and try to make a foray into that. Yeah, no, but before then, I, I guess that's the interesting part is that you're working in, 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 in the industry from a publishing point of view and, and stuff. And you get this opportunity. So by 87, so we did have Atlantic Star, Midnight Star, um, and, and uh, Phyllis Harmon. So we had a number of, of, of you know, um, Anita Baker had a number of Sade and, and all that. Out. And this is the week 
this is I was just before the whole new Jack swing was coming up. What was your sort of take as a, this, the, the, the direction of music that you thought you might try and get into based on who was out at the time? Well, you know, the thing is, is that I had done house records. I was a house head. I mean, just real talk. I used to be at the Paradise Garage and Zanzibar and Cheetah. I loved house music. I was like, wow. a up bait. I loved, absolutely loved house music. I loved house DJs, Um, the late Larry LeBan, Frankie Knuckles. I mean, I loved the Steve Silk Hurley. I really liked house. I liked the way that, it, that I felt as if it was the only kind of music where you can get just kind of get lost in it. And you didn't have to worry about, you know, singing a line or a lyric right. You just kind of got that base of that, that whole groove. And and I loved, and, and and I actually, those are the types of clubs that I would go to. And then of course I'd go to the R&B clubs, but the R&B clubs were playing combinations. They were playing, you know, a combination of different types of R&B and then house. But the house was the Jocelyn Brown, the uh, Gwen Guthrie. And it was so, they were vocal records. And I loved that. And so for me, and then, um, you know, uh, what is it, my uh, Colonel Abrams and, oh, and, yeah. and, and, yeah, and so so it was playing, those are the types of kind of house, you know, kind of housey R&B tracks that I fell in love with. And so when I came out, um, I came out of, Don't Make Me Over came out at a, in, the, in 89. And it came out at a time when it was like a real cool vibe in music. You had Soul to Soul, you had uh, the brand new heavies you had um there was a group out of the uk that i loved called tongue and cheek they had a really cool song called um never nobody that i absolutely loved and so i liked a lot of the british soul groups that were out at the time and um and so and loose ends by far loose ends, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna my, say loose. absolutely one of my favorites so i got the opportunity to do work with them and just for me i felt as if what I was doing was 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 pocketed, you know, and nestled really nicely with what was happening. It was not until considerably later that I realized that that things had changed. They were changing. Um, it was not about being the gifted singer and or having a great song. It was about, you know, it's just like is your is your uh, is your beat right? And it, you know, is, are you young? And are you you know are you just image? It became yeah. It, we became all consumed with with image. What what someone looked like. And, and I thought, you know, what happened to the days when you really had to have a voice? I mean, you had singers that were, they were, they were making records. They weren't singers, mm. you know, you, you had a lot of that. And so a lot of the, the groups um, fell by the wayside because the way that they, the way touring went and the way that um, record companies were investing, it was just not for the, it was not ideal for the real singer or the real songwriter or the real producer. Um, it was more about, okay, um, can can they sell records because they look like they're about 12 singing these adult mm -hmm. records, you know, mm -hmm. or they, um, or they're, they're cool. And, and it, it just, it just changed in a way that didn't, wasn't comfortable for me. Wasn't comfortable for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, so although I was born in the, uh, born in the UK. Um, so in the, in the eighties, I was in, I went to boarding school in Nigeria. So mm -hmm. a lot of, so even when you came out uh, with your songs and, and I always tell my guests that, you know, if I'm referring to music that came out towards the, in the mid to late 80s, um, I, I went to college in Alabama in 92, so, I, so I, moved, I stayed in the U.S. in the 90s, but I was in the 80s, so when, if I heard your record, I tell people that sometimes you might not recognize that, yes, it was big in the U.S. and maybe big in Europe, but if it crossed over to parts mm -hmm. of Africa, we didn't yes. have social media, we didn't have the internet, so it meant the record was really big, that it went internationally without you guys knowing. And, and so I just wondered then, 
when you mentioned these British bands that were doing extremely well, like we love Loose Ends and Soul to Soul and Brand New Heavies and, and, and stuff, and there was a different vibe between the, with the British soul um, that, that, you, that, that was happening out in the US. It, it, but it was a big thing for us to recognize that, yes, you, you decided to invest in sort of the UK and, and European market as opposed to the US. What did did you didn't did you think about? Well, let me try and master my hometown, or just forget <laughs> the um, it's easy access in the UK. Or what was the, the it, thing? You know, I don't think I wouldn't say it's easy access. I would say that people generally gravitate towards where they're loved. You know, it's it's it's, it's oftentimes many of us are are not loved upon. We're not loved upon um, at home. You know, um, you have. I mean, not being funny, you Tina Turner left the U.S. a long time. I remember um, Edwin Starr, you know, from War. He ended up living in the UK. There, there were so many artists that Alexander O'Neill, Alexander O'Neill, Jocelyn Brown. I mean, literally, there were so many because it's not that I, I wanted to make it big here, but the music industry, the way radio was was how radio had, was configured, wasn't kind of in line with with with, with some certain types of artists. And so after a while, you found yourself not being the taste, you know, the taste, you know, or the, the butter on their bread or the jelly on their toast, you know, it just, it just wasn't, wasn't what it, they weren't clamoring to get you to come. And then, but the, what I have found, um, I've traveled and I, I love, South Africa is absolutely, I go to South Africa quite a lot and I've been quite a lot and I absolutely love um, Africa, the content. I love, you know, I love Africa and I love different parts uh, different countries within the continent that are on the continent because like you said what i have found is that the records that they sing of mine they're in the albums they've like they've gone into the album yeah, um, yeah. and and outside of outside of africa then brazil brazil is a very big support brazil i'm when i tell you the second largest number of black people in the world are in brazil and i found that out they have all, I mean, they speak Portuguese. They, some of them can't understand anything that I'm speaking to them, but they can sing every song. I'm talking about songs that were not even singles. They know them and they still, and so what I have discovered is that I like to go where I'm loved on and I like to go where I'm appreciated. And so, yes, I would have loved to have had the same levels of success in my home country that I've had in other countries and, and in other places. Um, and for some, you know, people don't realize that after that Don't Make Me Over album, I did multiple albums and did really, really well with, with you know, with, with The Love I Lost and When I'm Good and Ready and, and, and just different projects that I had worked on for other labels. Uh, so people don't realize that. Um, and so I feel as if many of us, we don't leave here because we, we don't want to make it here. We leave here because we want to make it. We want to be able to have our um, gifts you know, the gifts that we've been given to be able to be used and to be embraced. And so um, as much as I would, uh, as much as I get frustrated or get traveling gives me anxiety sometimes, <laughs> I, I, I go because I know that on the other side of it, there are going to be people who wanted to see me. And so that means everything. You know, it's interesting because I... I saw an interview with Tevin Campbell in South Africa and, and, and he was saying that, oh, you know, the, the, that he was surprised how people in South Africa knew his songs word to word. And one of the things that he enjoys doing is because he fit the appreciation. And, and I think the same station, I think it's Espresso, I saw you yes! in 2017 <laughs> perform, yes! uh, perform 
there and I, was, and I said, wow, so as you were saying that there is an appreciation in, in other parts of the world because we, you know, we don't get to see any of you guys live, especially now with the pandemic. Yeah. So, of course, when we do get to see any of our artists, we, we're really, you know, there's a clamor to see because we don't get that every day. And I think in, in the US, you can get spoiled for choice and you can say, no, we don't want to go see you. We want to see them. And I, and I can see how in a way that you can't, you may not always be appreciated mm -hmm. uh, there. I did see you on the Apollo when Simba yes. introduced you and, and you said, don't, don't make that fast view. And I do wonder how that was then going to the world famous Apollo, you know, and performing. Because I saw you there dancing, like, oh, I'm going to have to rock the Apollo. Yes, the yes. It was, it was, it was, it was amazing. It was really, I felt as if I was in somebody else's life because as a young person, you know, you see, you, you know, you think Showtime at the Apollo, and you think the Apollo Theater, and you think Sandman, because I would watch everything that we would watch. You know, we would watch Amateur Hour. You watched it. And yeah. so to be there and to be introduced by Sinbad, who was really a, a, such a gentleman, such a nice, nice guy, um, really, really funny and just, but he was so, so inviting. But being there, and I'm going to tell you, the funny thing is that I will not say the name, but there was an artist that had gone on, because you do these multiple tapings, and there, uh -huh. were, there was an artist that had gone on, and... It was an artist with a hit record, but they didn't sound anything like the record. The audience booed. And I thought, oh, oh. <laughs> so needless, needless to say, I have to go on. So, you know, I was like, I was going to give my best voice, my best everything, because I knew they didn't care who you were. If you were not good, they didn't care if you had sold a million records. If you got on the Apollo stage and you flopped, they were going to let you know you flopped. And so for me, it was just like, I felt like I had, had really, I mean, had done this, done this stuff. And it was, very much the same thing when I did Soul Train because I grew up as a little girl watching Don Cornelius and Soul Train. Yeah. And so to be on Soul Train, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm on this, you know, first of getting there in the taping, you think it's this big, huge place and it's not, it's a studio mm -hmm. and, uh, and the dance, it was just, yeah, those were some of the highs for me. Some of the real highs for me were being able to perform in places that I only dreamt about and or never imagined that I'd be on those stages. Um, so. <laughs> That was everything. And third, I say another highlight for me ever is that I was a major, major Barry White fan, loved Barry White. And I ended up doing, I did a radio show with him um, in, we were in Detroit. And it was, it was me, Shantae Savage, Shantae Savage and I opened up for him. And I'll never forget, I was so nervous, so, 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 so nervous. And he, he put his hand, because he's a big man, and he tapped me, he said, he said, you go out there and knock them dead, baby doll. And I thought, oh, my God, that's Barry White. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's Barry White. Like, no, he didn't say that to me. And so. <laughs> Did he make deep voice as well? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I could not believe it. I could not believe it. So I've had some really cool moments, some really, really, really cool moments. Um, and it, just meeting people that I admired and respected and, um, you know, just like to, to go to go to the Apollo. Let me say, I took my mom to see Gladys Knight at the Apollo, and my mom looks a lot like her. And we had backstage passes that were a friend of mine worked for her, her label, and we were able to to get passes. So I introduced my mom to her, wow. and she looked and and she looked at Gladys looked at my mom. My mom looked at they looked at her. She said, "My mom said people always." She said people often say that I looked like you know looked like that we look alike, and 
Gladys said, you too. She said, you look like you could be my sister. So my mom, that was a high for my mother. You know what I'm saying? So, so sharing some of those types of moments have been really cool too, you know, yeah. just um, having, being able to engage with people that your parents, um, that your parents liked and, and or admired and you grew up listening to because I'm Gladys Knight and the Pips, I could have sang every song, much like a Marvin Gaye. I grew yeah. up Marvin Gaye, man. Marvin Gaye, because my dad, everybody said my dad looked like Marvin Gaye. So I guess I was kind of, you know, kind of gravitating towards <laughs> kind of favorite people that I really love. You know, <laughs> you know it's funny because Levi Little, when, when I interviewed him, he said that, you know, with all the success Blacks we'd had, his family, his parents didn't recognize until they saw him on Soul Train. That That's was right. Like, oh, That's right. Like, oh, That's you're right. famous. You were on Soul Train. That was you were on Soul bad. Train, exactly. And it's, it's I mean... And the funny thing is that that was, even now, when people see the tapes of it, people, they get excited because they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, so that's right, you were on Soul Train. They get excited. And yeah. it makes me get excited. <laughs> no, but it makes sense because I did, because I did watch it recently, the, 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 the Apollo. And I was like, wow, she's really getting into it and trying to, you know, and, and, I, and I don't know because Father MC said he was always nervous going to Apollo just because of what you see, the, the booing and stuff, and that they didn't respect Get, um, didn't matter if you, as you've said, platinum yes. artists and stuff, if you don't entertain us, we boo you the same way we boo the, the they, they, And that was true. And I was, and I felt so bad. I was sitting there, I wanted to cry for the artists. I was sitting there thinking, oh my God, that was, and it, literally they booed, I mean, they booed, it was, and they had to stop and tape again and ask oh. the audience not, you know, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was oh horrible. Yeah. I was sitting here thinking I would not want to be her. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How different was that from being on Top of the Pops, which was our British version of, uh, of Showtime and Follow? But let me say this. I was just as nervous on Top of the Pops because of the, the historical, you know, part, the, the aspect of how big that was. It was comparable. Top of the Pops was like our American bandstand. You know, okay. so and um, it, it was kind of a happy combination between American bandstand and Soul Train. So because yeah. you had the diverse artists. And so when I did Top of the Pops, the funny thing is that I'm used to singing live and it was very difficult for me. It was very difficult for me to sing um they changed it, but the first time I was on there, they had they had us lip sync, and I thought I can't. It was so hard. I had to, it took I had to study because I never ever sing a song the same. I don't ever sing it the same way, okay. and so I had to listen to the version that they were going to use, and literally had to practice this the the, the song because. I'm used to singing it live and I kind of embellish and add a little of this and a little bit of that. So it was, yeah. it was difficult, mm -hmm. but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I got to meet some really cool people at a number of the tapings. And so it was really fun because I'd done Top of the Pops and I did their, you know, what is one of their um, holiday uh, specials and all yeah. that. So that was fun. Yeah. So, I mean, when, when, because I remember, as I said, in night, it's about 89 or so when, um, when you had your global hits, and, and I always say global hits. That was Don't yeah. Make Me Over and Walk so, On By. Yeah, and so it was actually the Don't Make Me Over because I was still in, in high school, in boarding mm -hmm. school, and, and it was a massive track. And and as I said, when it's global, it's like, it's, if it comes to Nigeria, it's, it's, it's a big thing. Yeah. And as I said, I, I, and that was the time when we had some Maxi Priest singing, you know, it's, yes. it was the same type of, yes. of, of vibe. And, and as I said, we appreciated. The diversity of that type of the, that type of song and and I always do tell people that if they looked at the 80s 
a lot of the artists that came out in the 80s, it was about their vo vo voices and their, and their voice. Um, who sang um, It's Raining Men? Um, that was the Weather Girls. Okay. I mean, so even image was not yes. an issue. I mean, how people yes. dress, it was not an issue. It was mm -hmm. about the song. It's about mm -hmm. the lyrics. It was about the talent. Um, and and that shifted definitely in, in the 90s and stuff. But was that record initially released in, in Europe or was it released in the U.S.? Don't make me over. It was released in the U.S., um, but it was made, it became a hit because of, it was remixed by um, some soul, some 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 soul boys out of uh, out of the UK, um, out from the Liverpool area. Oh, um, yeah. that's where I'm born, yeah. Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so and and what happened is they um, they ended up giving it that soul to soul kind of vibe, and oh. that's what took it to a whole nother level. So it really it it was released in the US and back back in to the UK, but it was on the backs of the strengths of them hearing it be what it became. I mean, the, just everything about it. Because when I first did, I wanted Walk On By to be the first single, but but Eddie O'Loughlin, who was the president of the label at that time, wanted, don't make me over. He said, I just think that it's a perfect record. I'm sitting there thinking, I don't like it like that. <laughs> and, and so uh, we ended up, we ended up, you know, releasing it, but it was not until they did the remix that I fell in love with it. And it became what, it became a big record. I mean, just a massive record for me, yeah. It kind of changed. Uh, it changed the trajectory of of how uh, the types of shows that I got because I was getting a lot of house uh, shows and underground. You know, a lot of the house and DJs and a lot of the clubs because I had let you, I had uh, my first record falling in love. Then I had let yourself go. My love is guaranteed, which were house and dance records, wow. but they were big house and dance records. I mean, you know, Music Week top. They were top five. You know, at the year end, and they were they were like three and for big. They were big records and dance and in house. And so this was the big mainstream record for me, mm. you know, and, um, and people don't know, I, and I didn't realize, um, I, I would come to the UK and I came prior to there being a KISS FM, okay? okay? And so I was working in and around the UK with labels that I didn't realize um, they were, they were, they were not, they were not radio stations per se. <laughs> they, they, they were radio stations, but I think they were called pirate. They were pirate oh, radio pirates. stations. Yes, 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 yes. But I had no clue. You know, I, I had no clue. Um, I was just, because I perform in the clubs and it would be packed. So these, these radio stations had massive followings, but not until, yeah. So it became yeah. different when Kiss FM um, because you know it was just what BBC it was just radio. A B yeah, it was just the BBC, and there was not much of an emphasis on 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 black music. Um, exactly. So you do have the pirate state DJs, and they would probably broadcast, you know, in somebody's house, and then the police come and then it. But it it was very big with the underground. So I mean, now um, R and B music is is probably one of the biggest now in yes. in the UK. Even the BBC have a dedicated R and B. 24 right. 7. That's right. That's right. That's right. But, but back then, I mean, as I said, when when a record blows up internationally like that, how, what does that do? Does it, does it, do, are you prepared for it, you know, as an artist? Does, how does one prepare for global fame like that? You, you don't, you don't prepare. I mean, it's, and it's kind of, it's kind of uh, disjointing, you know what I'm saying? You get just kind of, there's a disconnect um, initially because you're sitting here thinking, I was good. I was good. I was good where I was, you know. But then you realize that yeah, you might have been good, but that's not where you. That's not all that that was on the, you know, on the horizon for you. And so 
you don't know, you just, you just go with it. You don't, you just prepare yourself by always just being on your game and being prepared vocally and just living a certain kind of way so that you can always be on point. I've always, um, stayed away from a lot of things that would probably deter, that would deter me from being able to vocally be on, uh, you know, have my chops right and, and, and being able to physically do what it is I need to do on stage. So for me, it's just like, you, 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 you don't prepare really just kind of, you just kind of live a life that is just devoid of a whole lot of nonsense. And, and cause it's your, it's, it's your gift, it's your job. Yeah. And so you yeah. prepare, you prepare for it as such. And so you don't, you know, you don't show up drunk. You don't show up <laughs> high. You don't show, you, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't do that. Um, you don't live a reckless life so that you can't uh, give people who have been supportive and want to hear you sing the record in the key that it comes in <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, or, or, or sing the song and remember the lyrics, those types of things. So it's really important. Um, it's, you, you, you don't get, you just, you're ready. I always say, don't, I say, you, oh, you have to be ready for whatever. Don't say whatever, but be ready for whatever. How did it, how did going to finishing college, um, and then also having that stint working within publishing help you uh, uh, just business-wise as, as a musician, as a artist? Well, I realized it was a business. Let me say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I realized it was a business because I didn't do music publishing. I did different types of publishing, but I understood the, I understood the concept, okay, of what, what publishing and, and, and what it looked like. And, um, and then I had a, a really cool boss who was really into publishing and he shared things that were more from the business and not from a music end, which made a difference for me. Um, and so being working in, in, working in an industry, so to speak, I understood that. Um, and when you talk about the music, it's not the music, that's not music fun, it's the music business. And so that business aspect had to be considered because you can have a great deal of talent, but I'm fortunate I've never... I've always thought I was on the brink of, of bankruptcy, but I never lived like that. I never lived beyond my means um, because I never, I didn't make the millions and millions like a lot of other people might have. So there was nothing, I've, I've always worked, I've been able to live within frame of what I, what I've earned. It didn't rely on or believe that I, other things were going to come. So um, I realized it was a business and I handled it as such. You know, I did things that I thought were, I, I made smart, I thought relatively smart decisions, um, you know, in terms of things that I purchased. I mean, I've never lived just, just never lived crazy. And, um, and so I, um, today I think that if what I earned was, I'd be a millionaire if what we were earning back then was uh, fast forward to the cost uh -huh. of how living is now and, and the units sold and the performance, I'd be really rich, but you know, back then we weren't making the kind of money that these young people, um, are able to make now because there, there are just so many avenues and so many ways that money can be earned um, that weren't, they, didn't, they did not avail themselves to us. Um, so I handled it as a business and um, and I think that, and I stayed away, stayed clear of a whole lot of foolishness with, with spending. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think that's the, the one thing that 90% um, of, of, of my guests sadly have said is that um, you know, they, they got, put it with a contract, you know, attorney says, yep, that's standard, but they mm -hmm. didn't understand what standard means is that standard means we standardly take away all your money and your publishing. Exactly. <laughs> and stuff. exactly. So it might be standard, but it doesn't mean it's good for you in the long that's run. That's right. That's and right. It's, it's after they, you know, from Jodeci to, to, to SWV, it's after they've sold a certain amount of records and they're like, 
wait a minute, our bank accounts don't seem to equate to, <laughs> to the right. success. That's uh, right. That's right. That's right. But then, because on then, how how did you manage with your with yourself with your life? Did you then think, okay, I need to write to own some publishing in, in my stuff and not just rely on covers and and things like that? Well, the thing is, my early songs were all songs were songs I wrote, and it's funny because the only song, the first record was Falling in Love. I didn't write that, but then I did Let Yourself Go. My love is guaranteed, and I wanted to be a songwriter, and I ended up having hits with other people's records. I made a lot of money for, more money for Burt Backrock and Hal David and then Gamble and Huff. And, you know, just, I mean, I made money for people who are solid songwriters. I mean, just, you know, just star, rock stars in, in, the, in the writing and production game. But it was not until I realized, wait a minute, I need to be making some publishing money. Mm. And so that's when um, I just really said, no, I have to have a certain number of records that I've written or contributed on, on the project. I said, if they're not going to be single, fine, but I need to, I need to write, I need to write. And so um, that's when, that's when they kind of let, they said, yeah, she, she's, a, she's a good writer. She can, because I'd written, Let Yourself Go, My Love's Guaranteed were big dance records. And they done well for me. I wrote those songs. I, I mean, so it's not like I couldn't write, but they wanted to stay on that, that, that track of covers. And I thought, mm, you know, so after a while, that's another thing. You become frustrated because they're not hearing you. <laughs> they're not mm. hearing you. They're not hearing your vision for what, where you see your career, and that becomes a problem. Yeah, that becomes a problem. So, I mean, did did you spend a lot more time in the UK with success, or and did you relocate to the UK? I actually, the fun. Let me say this: um, I was back and forth so much. I, at, at one point, I just got a flat. It was easier to have a flat because it was cheaper. <laughs> it was cheaper. And um, because I was there so much. And um, I mean, I, I was there so much. And so I actually lived, I actually lived in Notting Hill, Notting Hill Gate. Ooh, and um, okay. and um, not far from Carnival, which was really cool. Yeah. And uh, it was, you know, so that was really fun and interesting. I lived on Pembridge Crescent, actually. And um, so it was really, that was, that was, it was, it was fun. It was, I liked walking because it was a, a Chinese restaurant that I liked on Bayswater. <laughs> there was an Indian restaurant. <laughs> so, so it had everything and I had, I had access and then Kensington High Road was right. It wasn't, it was just, it was easy for me. And so, um, yeah, so I, I, I did that for a number of years. And, um, and then, I, then I had friends. And so then I didn't have to worry about it. I, would, I always had a place to be and stay after I'd, after I'd separated myself and was no longer doing music consistently there with, um, with my label. I would go back and I always had a place to, to be because I'm really good friends. I've got Angie Brown from Bazaar Inc. is a good friend of mine. And I spent a lot of time with, you know, with Miss I'm going to get you, baby, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so and then uh, further up north, another friend of mine um, in Manchester, Kasha, she has um, an artist entertainment group. So I, I've, I've got people all over uh, the UK that have been there for me, even in, when, when I've not been at the high highs, you know, and it's just been, we've just been working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no yeah, record yeah. to promote. There's no nothing, but um, we had a really successful tour, Sisters of Soul tour that um, Angie Brown and on occasion, Allison Limerick um, and um, Kim Mizell. There were different people who would pop in and pop out uh, and, and participate. Rosala, it was just, it was really fun. Uh, there were good times. So I worked quite a bit um, there. And when I was there a lot, yes, it was, I was joking to say it was my second home, but it seemed like it was mostly home. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Yeah, you you, you worked uh, with uh, what uh, is it uh, Pete Waterman? Um, 
and, and a lot of people might not know well a lot of british and europeans might know them because they did a lot of stuff with kylie jason yeah. Donovan, uh, and, and stuff they were and then they got of, me they were like they didn't know what to do because i was surely different from them than the rest <laughs> of the people they produced let me say very different what was it like working with them because they're they they were our version of um jimmy jam and terry lewis at the time you know just continue they were almost with a little less soul <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah a little yeah but if i a pop version of them yeah 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 it, i mean it was cool it was cool um it it, it was cool i i think the thing I don't know if they knew what to do with me. Mm. Um, I, I, they wanted they wanted someone like me, but then I don't think they knew what to do. I don't think the same level. I will say this, and I'm I'm just gonna put it out there. I don't feel as if the same investments were made in in the brown artist uh, mm. that were made in the other artist, and um, that always bothered me because it seemed like they pushed um, certain re certain records and certain people uh, when. I was right. I mean, I was primed. I, mean, I had a built in. It was really could have been very, very simple. But um, I had to work for everything. Let me say that I had to work really hard uh, for everything that I got on that label. And and, you know, I'm Mike Stock, you know, it was Pete Waterman, Mike Stock, Matt Aiken. They were, you know, Stock Aiken Waterman. I worked mostly with with Mike and Pete um, because at that time, Matt was kind of on his way separating himself from, you know, from working with the team, but they, I, I give them kudos and I applaud them because they really, really great songwriters and great producers, but I wish they had listened a little bit more to some of us, um, like Princess was on the label at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, there were, there were other artists that I think should have gotten just as much shine. And I don't mm -hmm. know if that same investment was made, it's unfortunate, but, um, you know, I can say that, like, it's not, not, there's nothing they can do to me anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not like they really paid me the way they should have, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but it was, it was interesting. They were, they were, they were, I, let me say this. Recently, I saw, I ran into Pete Waterman uh, in August of 20, of, of, last of 2021. And I hadn't seen him in many, 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 many years, many, many years. Um, and it was, it was pleasant. Let me say that. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. in, 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 so when, in, when the nineties came and it, it, it was dominated by a lot of um, the nineties the and the R&B really took a lot, of, you know, then eventually mid nineties was a lot of hip hop and R&B. Mm -hmm. What were you, how was your thinking about, you know, I know that a, a lot of the, yeah, the industry changed and they were thinking about image, producer-led beats and, yes. and, you know, whether we can, if, you know, we can use auto-tunes and turn a dancer into a singer. Yes. <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to name any names, but yeah. they could do that to yes. her. You know, it's, it, they, it meant like, yeah, you know, we can do this to anybody. Yeah. For, for for real vocalists like yourself, how did you then think, wow, how do we make it and how do we survive in the way the industry is going? You know, I, I didn't worry about it so much um, because at that time I was also, I had done collaborations with uh, Salt and Pepper. I was had worked uh, with, with Salt and Pepper on, on some of their projects. And so I've sung, I did background on, on some of their songs, but I did a song with them called Independent. And... Um, which was really cool. So it was one of the one of the first R and B 
hip hop collaborations. People don't realize it, but it was early on. We had done it early on, but it was called Independent. Mm. And I remember being in the studio with, with Salt, Cheryl, and it was really fun. She's like, so we'll just, she, she just kind of let me do what we had a discussion and kind of let me do what, what she felt would work for that record. And so I saw the change. However, the good thing was that I still don't make me over for some reason and walk on by seemed to work well with the, that vibe that, that with that group, you know, um, I mean, I was on tour. I went out with Black, I mean, not Black Street, with, um, with a Rex in effect and Guy. And, wow. and so I was like, oh, SWV. And I mean, I, so I was able to fit into that R&B, into that area too, you know. Um, and because I also had done a song, Crazy For You, which featured Salt and Pepper, that was released in the U.S. So there were, I had moments where, and audiences, you know, with in, in front of, I guess, people well, with groups who were considered R&B, you know, New Jack, hip hop, R&B collaborations and, and so forth. So for me, it was just, I mean, I just kept working. I don't, I don't think I really stopped working until 2000 maybe, you know, okay. um, and it slowed down, you know, it slowed down. And I don't even know why. I think I made a decision. that's like, you know what? I'm tired of doing this. And <laughs> yeah, really. 1999 and 2000, that's, you know, that's when I was like, I'm, I'm tired. You know, I'm just, I feel like I was just like, oh, yeah, I was exhausted. I, I'd been doing it since 1987 and I was just tired. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and is it at that time you decided to change careers, go back and do the masters and. At that, that, that time I um, actually ended up going into education and I found my other voice doing it. I absolutely um, thoroughly enjoy making an investment in into young adults who have been, who are considered marginalized, okay, who, who are, um, need help making a decision about how their lives can look better than they looked. Uh, my first My first teaching job, I was recruited by one of my mentors who was the director of a program. And I ended up having 15, 15 to 18 students who were appointees from the attorney general's office. They were, they were deemed at risk. Wow. And I found that they just really needed to have us, they just needed to be loved upon and they needed their gifts and their talents to be kind of, you know, uh, nurtured. And mm -hmm. so it was, it was during that time that I realized I'm actually really good at this. I was really good at connecting because I never, I was, it was a no judgment zone for me. And since then, everything that I've done as related to the college has kind of propelled me in, in, in been kind of, that's been the di direction that I've taken. Um, I, um, I'm really fortunate. I just recently received uh, the Martin Luther King Jr. Service Leadership Award um, mm. Multicultural and Inclusion Committee at the college. And that was a big deal for that's a big deal for me. Um, wow. And I won the president's so I won the president's award earlier, you know, the end of, of, of 2021. So it's just like things have been happening. And I feel like, you know, you make investments in other people. Uh, you know, when you make investments in other people, then everything else falls into place. And yeah. so it has allowed me to be able to, to have a, a steady, you know, like a, ste a steady gig, you know, a consistent gig, and then, and then indulge myself with the singing, you know, and not rely on the singing to, to take care of me. I do it because I love it. And the extra money is great. It's, you know, <laughs> it's great, but I don't, 
I don't run after it. Like I don't, I tell people I don't move aspiration in that arena anymore. Um, you know, trying to chase down pr uh, promoters and I'm not doing that. Um, I'm not doing that. I just, I refuse. I'm at the age now where I know, I know my worth and I know uh, what I'm capable of doing. And music has opened up many, many doors. And even here at the college, it's like my students, some of the students that I've had, they think it's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> that that they that they can they can see a video of mine, they've heard me on the radio, or their mama told them that they saw me at a show. You know, so so for me, it's 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 just um, it it makes sense. I've I've come full circle with the with the reality that I may I may not ever have a, another hit record on the charts, but I still sing and I will continue to sing. Yeah, I mean, how is it like going back on stage at this? You know, just being live and stuff. Because I know that there's a massive revival for. Um, for, for from the 80s, 90s, because yeah. people are disenfranchised with the music that's out there today. Mm -hmm. What's it like going, going back on the stage? Do you go with a band or backing tracks or what do you, how do you perform? I do both. I do both. And I absolutely love it. And the funny thing is I tell people, they said, will you stop singing? I said, no, I sing every Sunday at, at my church. <laughs> and I keep, I keep this instrument. And, you know, as a woman of faith and a believer, I know that this is a gift that I, that I received. This is a gift and I have to take care of it. And so it's like you, I, I give it, I give this gift back to the very one who gave it to me. So I sing on Sunday happily, even when I'm frustrated and I want to stay in bed, <laughs> I still I get up because I'm thankful that I do have the ability to sing, still sing, and it keeps me, it just keeps me on my toes. And then um, I do, I do club shows with tracks. I do, I'm doing in the springtime, I'll be out with a band. And so I'm excited about that because I love performing with, with musicians and, and, and colleagues. I, I love it. I love, I love doing it. And, um, and then I'll probably be back in the UK for some of the festivals, you know, later in, like, um, in starting in June, July, August, um, September. Yeah. So I'm supposed to be in, in London in March for something. And, um, and then back again later on in May. So I'll be in the UK working, but like I said, I do, I do things on my terms now. I'm not going to, I don't do these long, you know, sing every night kind of gigs. I'm not doing that. I mean, because I actually sing. And so as you get older, you realize, you know, it's, it's you realize that you can't do some of the things that you used to do. Uh, with the same level of ease, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, so I um I I pace myself and, and I prepare myself to be able to do good shows, and so that means not overbooking. I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to chase a dollar. I'm not going to do it. You know, I remember doing two and three shows a night, and by the third show, my my voice and body was just I was exhausted. So I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, I mean, and and I think there, there's a difference when. You, you you put out music or sing for love and not because you're chasing like when I need to pay my mortgage tomorrow so let me I need to do a couple of shows and stuff That's and, right. and, and 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 also then become subjectable to um dubious promoters who would promote the show with your name on it and then on the night says I'm not paying you but people have already bought the tickets and stuff That's right yeah yeah been been there done that and um <laughs> And, 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 you know, and it's really sad because um, it makes, they think it's you. They don't realize mm -hmm. it's not you. And uh, so we've, we, early on years ago, it, it has not happened. I promise you it has not happened in two decades. <laughs> but, but I remember early on, it's like, yeah, they would, they would try you. They would try you. So I said, I'll tell you what, you pay me up front and I'll, I'll be there. 
but you pay me up front, you know, and I, I will show up if you want to, if you, whatever you need to do, but I will be there, but you're not, I'm not coming out. I don't, I stopped leaving the U.S. without being paid in advance. Wow. You know, and I think as, as, um, as fans, one of the things we didn't know about the whole music industry business side, but we also recently found out about the promoters and how dubious that could be. Kelly Price was on, she was, she was called to do a show in Texas. She was in there and she was, she was on Instagram live saying, I'm here. I've got my band and my music director, but I've not seen a promoter and they've not paid us. So I can't go on the show mm-hmm. because we, we, I'll have to pay everyone. And yes. yet the p- person hasn't paid. And, and I think it just opened our eyes as fans. Like, wow, what, how is that possible? Because we oh, always assume that the artist <laughs> shows up and then either gets tired and decides, ah, I don't want to do it and because that's how we feel. And so we get despondent, we get upset with the artist not realizing mm-hmm. That promoters behind the scenes are using this to cover costs and losses and stuff. That's right. That's right. It's it's that that is a real that that's a real uh, scenario. Um, and unfortunately, artists sometimes have have co- you know gotten a bad name because of it, because um, of bad promoters. So I always say, if you don't know the promoter <laughs> and, mm. and they don't have a track record, you might want to you might want to wait, you know, and and not and not make that investment um, in, in buying tickets to stuff you that, that doesn't have a track record. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. So going forward, so you mentioned a, a number of shows that, that you you're doing in the UK. I mean, for those in the US who might who who will be watching, what what can they expect to see you at all in 2022? In tw- yes, in 2022, I'll actually, I'm going to be doing some winery gigs some, with a band, which is really cool, kind of intimate wine. I love I love outdoors, uh, outdoor type festivals. So I'm going to be doing a, a number of outdoor events in and around um, the U.S. And so, um, yeah, we'll start in April. I think it's going to be April, and a- end of April is the first, it's kind of going to be the, the first outing of the festival season here. And so um, I will hopefully be able to post and share where I will be. Okay. And and then how do you manage the, because when I think of house, I always remember CNC Music Factory and and, uh, and, uh, Black Box. Was that the type that you, is that the type of, yeah. um, um, And is it Snap who had the power? And so was that the type that you were? Yes. And that's, and it's funny because Penny was a Penny Ford, still is a sweetheart, good friend of mine who sings with Snap. And, um, and I remember CNC Music Factory. Uh, David Cole was a brilliant producer, great musician, mm. um, and so I had worked with him prior to him being CNC Music Factory. So it's like, I mean, yeah, I just working with with that's the kind of that's the vibe. And I worked with them. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would do work with 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 groups like that. So I was really kind of a, a, an anomaly, so to speak, because I could do the house stuff and then do the R and B stuff, and it was really kind of nice. <laughs> it was real, yeah, it was really kind of nice. Yeah, so. Um, but when we go out, it's so cool when you have a band doing kind of house because they get excited because of the the energy on it. The drummer always loves it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he always loves it, you know. So it's always really fun to see that. Yeah. So, but when you do go on tour, do you, apart from your big hits, do you then play some of that like CNC and stuff because it's I house? play other people's stuff. I play. I mean, there's songs that did like I may do. Uh, a Stevie Wonder classic, you know, and just, and then started out one way and then it ended up being kind of da- a dance 
because I've heard maybe heard a dance version of all I you know all I do in a club mm -hmm. and I liked it you know um, I may do I may add a gospel record you know in there a, a, you know a, a contemporary gospel record it just it really depends the one thing I you will not catch me doing is rapping. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> you're, not gonna, you're not gonna do the independent rap version. No, no, because look, I I did the I sang the hook and 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 Cheryl and Sam they they did the rap. I'm like I did, mm -mm, that's not my thing. I, I I give my you know ah you know I I bow down to that because it does that is an art and so I joke about that. And I'm like mm mm I will not be rapping. Okay, no, <laughs> not, oh, okay. not at all. <laughs> I think finally that there's been. Um, I think some of the the male artists uh, did a lot of their sort of collaboration. You know, we had um, LSG, which was Stevie Wonder, uh, Stevie Wonder, um, Keith Sweat, Gerald Levert, and Johnny Gill. Yeah. Um, we had Tank, Tyrese, and um, Jane Wine come mm -hmm. together. We we don't we didn't get a we don't we didn't get female artists sort of like let's try and form some sort of like a super group and yeah. and perform. Was there anything that you could thought about either doing a, a sort of a tour with 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 uh, three other powerhouses, or even doing a sort of a, a collaborative group? Well, the funny thing is that I actually work with Robin S, C.C. Peniston, and Crystal Waters, and. Uh... They ended up doing rock, Black Girls Rock. I didn't do because my song, I guess, was a little too slow. They wanted to more house. But um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. But we've gone out um, as the divas of dance and um, have done really well, especially especially in um, in South Africa, you know, which is Zimbabwe. And um, and we've done, you know, done done the tour. And it's done really well. I think, you know, it's so funny because <laughs> I, I, th I see some of the shows with, with the female artists and I said, I don't know why it's very it's difficult for women to actually work together without feeling as if they've got to compete. I'm like, do you? You know, there's a reason. All of us have something that's unique to us. Be okay with, you know, with, with sharing it. But, but I find that it's very difficult to get women to um, agree without mm -hmm. one wanting to be a prima donna, you know, and... Um, and so I stayed out of that. <laughs> I, okay. I stay out of that. I will say this. Um, my cousin Maxine is an original member of the group in Vogue. Okay. And um, she's working on a project. And so I really I have an idea. So if, if I'm going to ever do anything with a, with a, a woman, it'd probably be a family member. And it probably will be Maxine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. I, I, yes. I interviewed Don Robinson. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of us, you know, it... it we 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 missed the original four and yes. and and one when when they didn't when they broke up I think it's not it's not the same you know they 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 were they they were they could have been the greatest female group if they had just kept yes. the all four and stuff and mm -hmm. um so it's it's yeah it's disappointing and stuff but it, yeah, I, yeah I did hear that you you and and and, and Maxine because. <laughs> yeah. But having those types of collaboration and those type of creative things are things that um, are, are stuff that we, we you know, it's, the music industry is very different. We know no one's buying records the same way. Right. And to get streams, you'd have to have a TikTok hit. And, you know, most of those are connected with hip hop and it, and it, and the music, it's only young people, I mean, not yeah. really young people, but a lot of young people buying trendy music that mm -hmm. aren't really live. So I don't know how easy it is for artists to make money making records as it used to be and and having to not have to spend so much on on touring yeah um, 
I don't, I don't, I don't get, I don't get it. I'm, there's, there are a million. I'm like, wait a minute, they're what? TikTok. I let me tell you, I I signed up for TikTok. I don't know how to tick, nor do I know how to talk. Okay, so it's a moot issue. It's like give me a microphone, give me a studio, let me give it to you. You know, yeah. I, I can't. I'm like, ah, it's too much. It's, it's yeah, too much. It's too much. Is, I mean, it it is luck of the draw, and and yeah. and and I, and I said it's um they do have labels and hosts program and people behind backing them to say okay how to make something viral and, and trendy and stuff but as I said the good thing as you've said consistently is about being in a place where you, you, you know you don't need to pay for your, your house so I need to go and do some shows and, mm -hmm. and feel that pressure so I guess those who sit and listen to you are seeing you sing from a place of love as opposed yeah. to uh, okay where's my checks I need to uh, I'm out of here kind of thing that's right that's right and I let and, I, and it's the, I've had to let some promoters know that I'm sitting there thinking wait a minute <laughs> you called me <laughs> you, know, you called me uh, and I'm not just not being cocky but it's like I'm not I, and, I, and I will say this and I repeat I said I don't move in desperation I don't move in desperation. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell my soul to the devil because I'm just not going to do it. If it does not feel right. And if you can't afford it, that's okay. You know, this is my, this is my number. And if you can't afford this number that we have on this contract, I'm okay <laughs> with that, but I'm not going to sell myself short and I'm not going to move in desperation. And that's the thing. I think a lot of people, they think I'm like, mm -mm, I know my worth. <laughs> I know my worth. And, uh, and that's the one thing I said to you, I said, you all need to understand your worth and understand the value of the, of the gift. It is a gift to be able to sing, to be able to, to create. It's a gift. There's an art to it. And people need to pay for that. Yeah. Well, and that's really good to hear. And as I said, as fans, we, we we're willing to do so if we, um, if we knowing that the, the truth behind how things, because as I said, when Kelly Price is saying, well, I've not got paid, so I'm not going to tour. I think it was hard for us. And I mean, you're thinking about money. We just wanted to sing, but not realizing. She said, "Look, I have to pay for my band, my That's music right. director. I mean, mm -hmm. the sound guy. I mean, who's? Um, it's coming out of my pocket. Now That's we're right. not going on tour. We're not going to perform. I still have to pay them. We flew mm -hmm. out here. I had to pay for my flights, and yeah. now a promoter's not paying us. And so we start to think, wow. So it it actually is something that." You know, it's not just that you want to go out and perform, but everything has to be covered. So, that's yeah. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's I mean, I always ask my guests um, if you were stuck in an elevator and they said it'll take a two or three hours, but we could put a movie for you to watch. What what movie would you request to watch? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, old, oh, gosh. Okay, because I have favorites. Now, I like old movies. Okay. And so I'd probably want to watch Carmen Jones with Dorothy Dandridge, wow. Harry Belafonte, um, yeah, because it's music, it's Black mm. people, and, you know, just, um, yeah, I'd probably want to watch an old movie. Because uh, yeah. it is singing in it, it's, it's a story, but it's beautiful people of color, yeah. you know, um, and one of the earlier. So I, I could do, I could watch that happily. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the other question is, what's your all-time favorite song? Oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. By well, any artist. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, uh, I'm a major, major Marvin Gaye fan. And I would, I've got two. Got to say, I've got two. Um, 
what's going on. And then the stylistics, then sung by Phyllis Hyman, Bet You by Golly Wow. Wow. It's a, yeah, it's a classic R&B song. And then she did it on the um, Norman Connors, You Are My Starship album. And I love that song. I don't know why. I just think melodically, it just, I don't know. That song always, you know, did something for me. So Bet You By, bet you by Golly Wow and What's Going On. Who, who else covers that? that that's, that, um, because it was the stylistics and then the stylistics did it early on and then Phyllis Hyman did it. Mm -hmm. Okay. But then did someone do it after her? Prince? I don't know. I, I don't know. Those are those two versions of my version. <laughs> okay. 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 I th I'm thinking of something Prince might have done that or with something that sounds he, he, something. The, the other song you're talking uh, I know the song you're talking about by Prince. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, no one compares. That's the one that Prince did that Sinead O'Connor did, and somebody, no one compares to you. Okay, no, I thought it was a better golly wow, but anyway, I will, I'll, it, it is. You'll just, check it out. <laughs> yeah, I will, I'll definitely check it out, the stuff. But yeah. it's, it's it, no, it's been really good. It's been really fascinating to, to hear your story. I mean, Whitley, the whole focus of, of the show is, is just to get to know the person behind the music and oh. the journey and, and, and stuff and the inspiration. And, and I know that, it's been an eye opener for a lot of us just hearing the stories, um, feel it just be, uh, being able to understand how the challenges, how the adversity, um, but also the fact that how your career has, has, has taken you to be able to give back. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's also in, in, inspirational as well. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I changed careers and I'm a, I'm a mental health therapist and I work with under 18s. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And, um, and, you know, that's, in fact, I think I spent I spent time with almost two hundred um, high school kids today talking to them about depression and how to overcome that. And I and yeah. I know the importance of, and especially within the black community globally, we have a very different view about mental health. It's like, no, it's fine. I'll go to church and stuff. And yes. <laughs> so no, it's just, it's a, I mean, therapy therapy is for everyone and we have to we have to break down that stigma that's attached that that black that black people think that it's not for me no it is it is you know because i see so many of our, and and i mean i lost a really one of my one of one of my babies his mom is like she calls me auntie and we lost him to suicide you know but this is 21 years old you don't you don't you know you're battling you know and so i'm mental health mental health and, and, and addressing it is for everyone, is for everyone. Um, I lost a student named, uh, uh, let me say this, he, Jerome, he was, he was just, just a good kid, you know, just a good kid. And um, I came back from a holiday break and this was, this was 2003, 2003. And that's what made me really focus on making sure I pay attention to students, you know, pay attention to them because yeah they you know they're going through going through yeah yeah and especially yeah. men um they yes. um they we they have the highest suicide rate because when they make a decision they go through with it with females when they attempt suicide it's very much of a, a cry for help so may do an overdose and uh, not of take 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 tablets and but we can always revive them or, or cut but they'll do it in a way of like see me and stuff but when when, when boys when guys take it they they actually go through they don't they say that's it and and so it's yeah. um but then 
there's a culture for for men that sense of well boys don't cry you know you need to toughen up mm-hmm. and and when you've heard that all your life and you have you're struggling with stuff who do you talk to That's right. your, your dad doesn't if your dad if you even have a, a dad who's is present he's not he doesn't know about the emotion engagement mom's dealing with other things and your mm-hmm. friends are just talking about sports and stuff and then you're, you're left to deal with all this stuff by yourself and mm-hmm. and people don't seem to have time that's the thing you know that time to listen to look and to act right. we don't have that we're always busy and stuff that's, and that's what you got to take time and um that's one of the things i mean I, when i someone what i'm really excited about is and why i say i was excited about receiving this award is because in the midst of um, when the virus came and they said that we were going to uh, go to online, mm. many, many of my students can't afford, they don't have technology. They come to school, come to use our labs because they don't have technology, they don't have devices, they don't have access to internet at home. And so college admin, upper administration asked me, they said, Civil, if you could have your wish list, what would it be? And I told them, I said, I need devices. I need to make sure that our students can leave here and be able to go get online because I've had a number of them that panicked when they said they had to go online. So my fight for equality, when you talk about equality, you know, what the big buzzword around here is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I said, I said, when, when we don't allow, we, we don't um, diversify how we spend our dollars (laughs) um, and we don't make it equitable Mm -hmm. and we don't include everyone in the conversation, then it's a problem. And so, um, so I had fought, you know, and, and I ended up getting 300 computers, um, 100 hotspots and paid for. I mean, we're not we're not lonely, we're giving. And I just got a, another large sum of money that I've got to spend because I was able to spend almost, you know, um, half a million. So they gave me more. And so my thing is, my thing is this, I'm going to do, I want to do for students who, who desire to, to be better and do better, but they don't know what that looks like. And so we've got to help them along. And so mm-hmm. I get it. I mean, and it does require, and, and I, sometimes I connect them to counseling because I, I we, we see, um, because I deal with the students who are deemed at risk and they're dealing with issues, um, life issues, homelessness, transportation, childcare, mental health, health, physical, you know, just uh, health issues, um, um, you know, living, like um, how am I, where am I going to lay my head? I mean, th- those are big deals. And so those are the things that I address. Uh, and how to connect them to resources when they do test positive for COVID. What's the conversation, you know, that you need to have with the institution so that you're not penalized for not coming? And where can we direct you so that you can stay, you know, in school, stay on the track of learning remotely? You know, so mm-hmm. so those are the things I, I, I wanted to I teach them how to self, I teach them about advocacy, but self-advocacy. And I do it by example. I sometimes have them sitting with me as I'm having conversations because think about it. when. When people are in, when they're in, in strife, in the middle of, you know, just chaos, they, everything is, it's, it's at a hundred, you know, it's, it's so, it's escalated. And so they need to not be there when they're trying to get help. And so we have to de-escalate them and get them to a place where they can engage in a conversation to explain what it is they need, um, where they're not, where, they're, where the other person is not distracted by the other stuff that they're bringing. And so I enjoy, I enjoy what I do. It can be, it can be heavy sometimes, but for the most part, I feel as if I am, I'm giving back, you know, what has been 
given to me because I've been, I'm fortunate. I've had support, you know, and I've had people who believed in me and a family that has supported me and friends who have supported and continue to support me, you know, in my ventures here at the, co at the college. So I just think that we just need to be okay with having conversations that are uncomfortable mm -hmm. uh, to some people <laughs> and that they don't just see the people that look like them. They see all people and I see all people, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it, it's it's really good, and and I do hope that um, you know, the, the, for that message, especially um, that we, we do take time to listen to uh, to, to spend time with, with people, because as I said, it's um, everyone might say we all have problems, but then there are problems that are bigger, and and you know, you're dealing with somebody who's who's trying to look for a place to sleep, trying to look for something to eat, and, that's right, and, you know, and um, it it just takes sometimes just 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 time. Um, but, uh, you know, to, as I said, when you do go on tour this summer, um, if uh, if we, yeah, if, you know, as I said, we do have a lot of audience in the U.S., so it'd be good if we get the dates, we'll post it, we'll let people know uh, about that when you're coming to the U.K. and stuff. If you have the information, we, we'll, we'll post that and stuff. And, uh, yeah, but, but it's, and it's, and as I said, you've, it's been a great time to hear your story and hear what you're doing now, and um, and I'm sure... A lot of those who, who get to watch will, will, will definitely be blessed. I appreciate your time this evening. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I look forward to, to meeting you and seeing you out. If I, wherever I, if it's going to be the UK, if it's the US, wherever it is, I just, yeah. you know, it'd be great to catch up. Thanks for watching. Please remember to subscribe to the channel, but most importantly, to press the notification bell so that you can be notified when we do have a new interview. Loads to come, but thanks a lot for watching.